0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Bunker. Pull down the blinds and encrypt your comms. Our fearless leader is on lockdown and back in his bunker after a long hiatus. He's providing his thoughts on the UFC, the state of MMA business, incriminating rumors, and the latest spicy headlines, complete with the MMA tete a tete, featuring interviews with guests from the MMA community. Pay Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at bloodyelbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Kid Nate Wilcox.
1: Hola, cage fighting connoisseurs. This is Kid Nate of bloodyelbow.com. For another MMA tet, a uh, tete. And this time I've got the blog father himself, Jerome Armstrong, one of the three co founders of SB Nation and the guy who agreed that Bloody Elbow should be the name of the MMA blog we founded on SB Nation. Jerome, welcome.
2: I love Bloody Abel. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody
1: Abel. <laughs> you still don't even know what the name is. <laughs>
2: It was a <laughs> <of a> joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah as as the whole thing was but let's let's start at your beginning and then we'll get into the beginning of bloody elbow how did you get into blogging okay. uh blogging was like a natural
2: move to me in the late nineties when I was always interested in politics and just started writing about it elections campaigns and and whatnot and uh I started a blog at MyDD.com com after i been posting a lot on Table Talk, which was the old well in the late 90s, and on Raging Bull, which is uh old financial site. So I started this blog, com, which was a And I integrated comments, and that was the biggest change, putting a community into it. So it wasn't just my voice, it was in people interacting with me. And that's that was part of what kicked off the whole interactive blogging community in the early 2000s.
1: And what tech were you using to to power those comments?
2: You know, when I first began, it was you had to just go in there and write HTML. It was crazy for the for the for putting updates. I think Gray Matter was one of the first ones that I started using, and then uh, um, Corrosion Rusty's blog that we started, Espionation one was uh, built on Scoop and so we the Pearl language. So we started on that after that. After I had been using, I
1: think WordPress came along at
2: the same time. That's still pretty big too. So.
1: Yeah, WordPress is uh industry dominant. In fact, Vox Media has announced that they're gonna be migrating to WordPress and, and I irony. saw
2: that and I thought I thought that was an interesting move and probably a good move in the in the long run. It sounds like it's not really sustainable to you on the platform when somebody else can do it just as good. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the tech has become a commodity and that never really chorus never really became a competitive advantage for Vox. But you started as us- I guess to.
2: I also, they they can they can use their ad platform as plugins now with WordPress and whatever else too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's but very flexible. That's really
2: all they need. Is that's really all they want the CMS for to see? That's to to with, anyway. So, yeah. Yep.
1: And so, um, you mentioned the founding of SB Nation. Who did you found SB Nation with, and how did you hook up with those guys?
2: Um, that was Marcus and Tyler. Marcus Marcus Malicis and uh, Tyler Zuzinski. They were um, out on the West Coast. Marcus and I knew each other to politics already. And Tyler was, was one of his best friends and he was in sports. And uh, I think he was doing an environmental blog though at the time, which, um, it was somebody else at Marcus who was trying to get to an environmental blog. And then Tyler said he'd do a baseball blog. Um, and then, and then I had been working with these other two guys, um, Rusty and Jeremy on technology already for campaigns and whatnot. So I started using the scoop platform for Howard Dean's campaign. And then, uh, um, it just became an easy, easy uh, move to to do it into sports blogging when we decided to set that up. I think that was in 2000, late 2003 maybe or early 2004 when we had that. We all got together in Portland, Maine, and the five of us, and that's when we started. The tech te- technology component of it, you know, it changes so rapidly that those guys wound up not even being around when 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 we got to founding the company. So I see,
1: that's and technicals. Tell us a little bit about the, your evolution into a pol- professional political operative because you founded MyDD, originally a fin- finance-oriented blog. Then it became, over the course of – two th- after basically after the Bush-Gore election, it became more of a political blog. And, and by 2003, you and Marcos are at the forefront of a political communications revolution. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I think an uh,
2: um, easy way to understand it is to look in the lightning – 90s, there was political discussion that was happening at places like free republics, Lucianne. Those were places that were mostly driven by Republican or white wing voices that were in opposition to Clinton's pre- uh, presidency. But the, the other thing that was happening was on uh, sites like Raging Bull, which was um, financial communities. And uh, to me, it became evident. I had never been involved in trading or anything like that before, but I was able to just jump onto these tech stocks along with everybody else and make money. But what I noticed that was the community that was forming in, in those places. And the other person he noticed, that it happened to be in the same place at the same time was Joe Trippi, who uh, was a political operative that had worked on, uh, you know, Kennedy's campaign in 1980 and Jerry Brown's campaign in uh, 92. So he, he was somebody that I had followed in politics for a while. And, I didn't realize that he was even engaged in raging bull the same time I was but then when I became interested in politics um with with the uh when when the bush thefted the election through florida and the shenanigans that went on down there I got really heated and involved and and that's when I intersected with uh, Marcos um who was also one of the first bloggers and then uh, and then Joe Trippy, who was then on the Howard Dean campaign, and and he asked us to come along and, and uh, join that campaign and start to make technology and and help with those decisions. So it was a pretty quick, you know, escalation into um, being involved in politics at the very highest level. From going from you know internet chat about how to make a buck, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and at that point you shut down my DD, but Marcos kept Daily Coast going. Did you ever regret shutting that down? Because, you know, you could be, you could be Marcos Milites now.
2: Uh, No, I, I never, I never really regretted it because my, I really wanted to work in campaigns. I wanted to work in some presidential campaigns. Um, And that was, that was my sort of goal to get into it. Um, It was more of a dream than anything else, but it was, it was something that materialized. And so I never... I like blogging a lot, and I liked writing, but um, the style of it is so reactive that I, I didn't really get into that part of it so much. And I think that's ultimately what turned me off. On politics as a whole was when it's it's just so reactive to the news rather than um, generative or, or creative, and that's where I'm more interested in being at, which is something that's more in the cutting edge and create, creative in that regard
1: and that is uh the crux of the issue with blogging i can tell you to this day that's still a hassle so when you guys conceived of the notion of sb nation though it was something you saw as a sideline to politics rather than your main endeavor right
2: yeah there was a, i mean this was a time like 2004 to 2006 7 eight, it was like you could see the whole tech landscape was shifting and um I, I, I was—I don't know if you remember, I was working on another site that was called Breaking Blue, which is sort of like Twitter that we were trying to use for, for feeds of um, from phones and stuff like that. So there was a lot of things like that going on. And um, the blogging was just, it was such a strong aspect to realize that you could build a community around blogging and you could build a community or a blog around where there's communities that already existed and those communities that already existed were around sports teams. So it was just providing a unique place for them to reside rather than going to, you know, ABC or ESPN and looking at the news. They could go to a site that was just dedicated to their to their sport and, uh, you know, by and for the fans, as we said back then.
1: And so if you had it to do over again, would sports still be the same vertical you picked as your alternative to politics?
2: Yeah, I think sports is the best for, vertical for, um, for, you know, making an uh, impact that was quick with a large standing audience. Um, the only problem you got in again with, with sports is that you it's better off with sports being apolitical. And so Marcos and I being very hyper political at the time. We wanted to make sure that there was a, a you know a good wall between that. But we I was, you know, I've always been of a libertarian bent. So I don't I don't mind the discussion either way that it goes. So that didn't bother me. Um, but I and I do think that sports is still like one of the greatest markets available. I think uh, wasn't it the Athletic? They sold theirs for four hundred billion. And that was a subscription model that didn't start until like five or six years after SB Nation.
1: I don't think it was four hundred billion. I think it was four hundred million million. But, million. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a significant yeah, five hundred and fifty million is what is what the athletics sold for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why didn't why didn't SB nation go to into subscription
2: model, Nate? You know on that more than I do.
1: <laughs> well, let's get let's let's one one step at a time, one step at a time. How did you first become aware of me? How did I get mixed up in this story and then and your various political operations?
2: Oh, I uh, Nate, I think we met when maybe when I was on doing research for the book for Crashing the Gate in two thousand five.
1: Is that correct? Texas? We actually met at a conference before you started that and then I helped you uh, hooked you up with some people in Texas that were useful. Where
2: was, to where the, was, where was the conference?
1: And it was some internet hurrah. It was, you know, Texas had a very big Howard Dean uh, chapter and movement and so it was kind of a follow-up on that. It was kind of a precursor of what became Netroots Nation actually. Mm. Cuz you and Marcos were both there. Um, and uh, and that's the first time we had met in person. We had talked on the phone when I was working on the campaign against Tom Delay a number of times. How many people were at that
2: um, with us
1: at that conference? I don't know, several yeah. hundred. It was mm. it was almost as big as the first Netroots Nation. I would say it was about a quarter of the size of the first Netroots Nation. A year or so that's later. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. But, Um, But then uh, you recruited me to work for Mark Warner in Virginia as part of uh, the Forward Together Pack. And we also recruited, and then I recruited Trey Brundrett to do the tech work. So how did Trey and then later me get involved in SB Nation? You know,
2: working for Mark Warner was great because he's a businessman. And when I told him what I was doing with with SB Nation and, uh, you know, building all that out, he was more excited about that than he was about his own campaign,
1: <laughs> and rightfully so. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't the only one.
2: <laughs> so when when he ended that campaign, I remember he called me into his office and said, you know, I decided not to run for president. I was like thinking, shit, he's going to tell us he's running for president because I didn't really want him to. And then when he said he was, not I was like, all right, well that's cool because I got this business to do. And he's like, yeah, let's figure out what's next step so he was really big into helping me like you know get some people into it that might know how to how, how to make it larger than what it was and um my my vision as a ceo was was fairly limited in terms of the the landscape i basically be able to see what's in front of me and and you know make the make the decisions based upon that and i think that works really well for an early ceo type um but expanding it, running it, running an operation with employees and all that other stuff is not really something I, I wouldn't consider my forte as an office worker. I think that's the correct <laughs> assessment, don't you, Nate?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I would, I would agree with that. That yeah, managing uh, any organization over about, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe your household. I'd have to talk to your wife about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can do. A, I can do a fishbowl. Like we had a fishbowl, remember?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can run a fishbowl. I can, t- I can attest to that. So how did I get involved in in Esri Nation? Like uh, where did the idea come from to have an MMA blog as part of this?
2: Well, I remember you, you got involved with basically the fishbowl, which was Mark Warner's internet campaign. I think there was five or six of us. And um, when that all shut down, I think we had already started um, Bloody Elbow before that, at, at, right, Nate? Or was it? No, we started in
1: 2007. It was after the campaign. It was several months
2: okay, after so the It campaign. was after the campaign. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was. I remember with with Bloody Elbow, Tyler coming out to D.C. I think we were meeting with some potential funders or something like that, or, or maybe it was over the phone. And Tyler at one point said that I don't want to have this this stinking pro wrestling stuff on there. It's fake sports. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> Who cares if it's fake? There's a lot of page views
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> but is not fake. So I know. <laughs> Although well, I did later <laughs> found Cadeside Seats for SB Nation, which became one of their biggest blogs. But that's neither here nor there.
2: The whole thing took off. I mean, that became one of the that that vertical within the, uh, you know, within the within the sports vertical was, I think, one of the fastest growing ones at the time. So Tyler came around really quick to it as well. So I don't think he had any objections. So. So that's how you came on with with um, with bloody elbow, which I think was I mean was there was there a hockey vertical there or was it, it was just in baseball and football at that time?
1: Uh, hockey, I think. I hockey, think that came later. Yeah, I think hockey came along later, as did soccer.
2: Yeah. So I think it was like maybe like the third or fourth, you know, uh, vertical within sports that we. With, you already we had college and
1: football and college basketball. Yeah, we so had. So. Yeah. Those, but um, tell us about bringing in Jim Bankoff as CEO. How did that connection get made, and how did how did that transition happen? Yeah, so
2: happen? so Mark Warner was setting up this meetings for for um, I, I basically asked him to like help me find some people, and uh, um, he was setting up some meetings with uh, potential funders. And one of them was uh, Nigel Morris. That's his name, right?
1: I believe so. The founder of Capital One Credit Cards.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's American Express now. So Nigel was one of the people, and I had met Nigel a couple times. He had some really nice sports cars. He was working on becoming a billionaire at the time, and um, he came to a meeting, and we presented it, and And I remember a line that Nigel said was, he looked at it all, and he, and he was, you know, he was looking at becoming a billionaire at this time. He was like, there's some zeros missing from this thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like implying that it wasn't really big enough for him to get involved in it and I I said well let's not waste your time then and but there was a guy at the meeting though Jim Bangkok who who I I met at that meeting and subsequently he and I had um, coffee and then we met and I, I laid out my whole you know vision of where I saw the company going and he laid out where he was going and it intersected very nicely in that regards um the strategy of it I wasn't As convinced was uh, uh, that he would be able to pull it off, but I think he's done a fairly good job. Missed some opportunities, but as far as holding the business together and somewhat trying times over the last, what, 15 years now. So overall, I think he's done an excellent job as far as, you know, creating a legacy um, media company.
1: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox we are also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-A-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.